it's great to be together here today. You guys sound amazing. It's nice to have the uh, rain stop here a little bit. We got a little wet this week, but uh, it's awesome to be together. If you're visiting with us, we've been continuing a series called Greater Love and really looking at the, the kind of love that Jesus has and how we can really stretch ourselves to uh, be filled with, with God and be able to pour that out. And uh, this week was super encouraging. Uh, at our midweek service, we got together with a lot of our compassion reps from each of the family groups. So each small group has somebody who's helping and inspiring the group to serve the poor and meet the needs also within the group. And that was probably the highlight of my week. Uh, if you're a compassion rep, raise your hand. Okay, you guys inspired me. Because I had to leave the meeting for uh, our brother Bernard. And so I, I missed the whole time because Bernard was having some health issues there, which we'll get to later. But he's with us today, so we're happy. Uh, uh, so then I came back at the end of the, the time and they were so excited to really help the needs of the people in their group. To help people outside the group. They had pictures and stories and it was just... It, did, it was good for my soul to see, uh, to see their love and to see their heart and see their passion uh, for serving God, for helping their family groups, and really for helping the poor. I was, I was super excited. Uh, and, and just really, as we're, we're growing, we're, we're praying that God continues to lead us uh, where he wants us to be. And uh, last week, Jake did an amazing lesson. And uh, I remember I was going home, and you know you get those... Every once in a while, you get something that just kind of sticks with you afterwards, and it's kind of disturbing, right? You ever get that? So I kind of went home, and I was disturbed uh, by a scripture in the Old Testament that talks about how every three years, they would come together, and they would bring a tithe into, uh, into the storehouse for the poor. And so I went home, and during the sermon, I thought of that scripture, and I'm thinking about it, and my next day, in my quiet time, I'm... You know, just praying about, you know, God, what do you want me to do here? What am I supposed to do with this? I'm disturbed. And sometimes the only way you get undisturbed is to obey or to, you know, respond or to do. You, you can't just like hope it goes away. Sometimes it doesn't go away until you do something. And so I prayed about it and I, you know, I got the, the, the number in my mind there for you numbers people, you know, 3.33 percent. Uh, every year would be a tithe every, every three years, you know. I'm, I went to Harvard, I learned that. Uh, and I realized uh, at the end of the, my quiet time, I realized, you know what? The only reason that this is sticking with me is because I don't want to feel guilty anymore. Because I want to check this box so that I can feel better about myself. And then I can feel like, oh good, I did that already, now I don't have to worry about it. And I realize that is so against everything that we're trying to do in serving the poor and really without, the whole point last week was, you could do all the things in the world, but if you don't do it out of love, you're wasting your time. And I realized, wow, I could check all the boxes and give all the tithes I want, but if I'm not doing it with a loving heart, all I'm doing is checking the box. And Jesus knows the difference. <laughs> you might not, but he does. And it really set me free. Like, I need to really love people more. 
you know, I put the box aside for a while and, I, you know, I, I feel good about, uh, you know, I felt good about that. But I said, man, I, I need to continue to grow. So that next couple days later, um, you know, we had the incident with Bernard here on Wednesday. Uh, the doctor said he had the most mild stroke you could have. It was like minuscule. Uh, so it was really a blessing, you know, it just kind of put him on notice. Hey, you got to really take care of yourself and eat all the things that your daughter wants you to eat and all that stuff. Uh, uh, and so, you know, it, it was amazing to see that everybody's response. And he wanted to thank you for all your prayers uh, and everything. So I'm driving over to see Bernard and we had... That was the day we had the torrential rains, right? So it was just starting, so I was driving down the road, and I saw a car pulled off on the side of the road, and that's kind of my thing. Uh, I'm not saying it has to be everybody's thing. You know, if you're a woman, you might want to really think about it. Maybe that shouldn't be your thing, but it could be dangerous, but I've, I'm stopping whenever I see a car. And so I, there was a car there, and I only had a certain window of time I'm just giving you a window into where my brain was, right? Because I know we're, we're all struggling with how do we do this? How do we put this into practice, right? So I'm driving, and I, and I only had a short window, so I'm, I'm looking at the car, and then I see it in my rearview mirror, and I'm still going towards Bernard. And I got stopped at the next light, and then I looked over, and there was, it, it was like uh, Vista Chino River was coming down. I mean, it was like flowing down the street, like two lanes of traffic, Right up to the edge, everybody, you know that one? Mimi's laughing. Yeah, man, that was crazy. And it goes right up to the edge of the sidewalk. And on the sidewalk, I see a blind guy walking with his cane. And it was like, he was on the sidewalk. And over here was like 20 feet of like Vistachino River going down here. And I was in a dilemma because I was like, well, I was trying to help the guy in the car. And now there's this guy here. And he looks like, man, he... He looks like he needs even more help than the guy in the car. But then I was thinking that I only have a short window of time because I'm trying to fit in Bernard before my first appointment. And so I don't know if you ever felt like there's more stuff to do than you can actually do. And so what did I I said a prayer? I said, well, I'm going to help the person in the church first. I didn't know if that was the right decision at the time, but I just only had a short time to figure it out. So I said a prayer and I went and saw Bernard. We had a great time. But I say that to share with you that, man, we, 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 it's not that one person can change the world. But all of us and everyone out there, if we're trying to change everybody's perspective that it's not just about me, that we can all love somebody. And you may not be able to love all the people all at once, but you can love, just pick one. Yeah. Just like I did. I said, okay, I'm just going to pick one and I'm going to go. And I, I, We had a great time and got to visit with the doctor and he got to go home and, and all that. You know, I, I realized this past week that one of our uh, region leaders in L.A., Rafael Lua, actually went to the Boys and Girls Club in Mecca when he was a kid. And it made me realize, wow, the people that we're helping, you never know what God's plans are for them. They may or may not remember us, but God has great plans for some of these people that we're trying to help. We're going to meet with the boys club in a couple weeks, you know, just through this whole process and just thinking, wow, maybe we'll meet another Rafael Lua who's, you know, leading an amazing region in the, in the L.A. church and 
I just thought, wow, God, God is working. You feel like God is, God is moving. So today is what we're going to talk about. Jesus' dream versus the American dream. And so Jesus came down from heaven and he had a dream. He had an idea of what he was trying to do, of the love he was trying to bring, of the heart, of the, the service, of, of the people he wanted to choose, of the impact that he wanted to make. You know, each one of you, you have a dream, too. You have something that gets you excited. You have something that you sacrifice for. You have something that says, I'm going to take away everything in your life except for one thing. Your dream is the thing that's left. And so today we're going to compare Jesus' dream versus the American dream or even more personally, uh, your dream and my dream. And really be able to kind of match that, that up. And uh, I, I came across this. What do Americans think of the American dream? The 78% of people, the American dream was personal freedom. Nobody telling me what to do. I'm like, I want to sign up for that. I mean, honestly, that's, that's a good dream, right? That might not be Jesus' dream, I was at the gym last week, and I saw a big, one of the guys there, he's probably like 60 years old, and he's, he looks like the Hulk. He's, he was huge. He's not all natural. But he was talking to his friend. You can't be that big when you're 60. I'm sorry, it doesn't work that way. But he was talking to his friend. and says, you know what? I have no authority in my life. I am my own authority. And I just kind of looked over, and I said, oh, my goodness. I didn't even have the guts to share with him at that moment. I mean, he was so feeling. I said, no, I'm going to have to get back to that uh, at a different time. I see him all the time. But whether he he says what 78 percent of the people said the American dream was, he just said it out loud. And it, it, it caught my attention. It, it threw me back. You know, 75 percent that just to meet their basic needs. 71% achieving your potential. 67% said the American dream was to have enough free time. More free time. 54%, I got excited. I saw the deer there. I thought that 50% of the people wanted to live near a good deer hunting area. That would be on my list, but not 54% of the people's list. Being in harmony with nature. You know, kind of having, I don't even know what that is, but having some kind of balance with, you know, maybe you live on solar panels or something. I don't know. I don't know. Uh, leaving, a, leaving a smaller footprint, you know, I guess it's along those lines. And 23% said achieving affluence or getting rich. Now, I'm not so sure I believe these stats. I'm a sociology major. I mean, only 23% to get rid. I think we have a few liars out here in America. Uh, you know, my dad and my parents were kind of the American dream type of family back in the, in the day. Uh, my dad was an orphan. My mom was the son of an alcoholic plumber. So they grew up with, with not much. My mom was 17. She just wanted to get out of the house, and she married my dad. She just had to get out of there. Uh, you know, so 
they they kind of experienced a little bit of that to kind of have the little house and the picket fence and all that kind of stuff. But I, so I'm not sure what that means to you. But in general, to work hard to get uh, material things and live the good life. You know, that, that's what, what it means to me. I'm not sure what it means to each one of us. But we're going to read about a guy here. We think this is like a new creation here. But this was around when Jesus was here too. So look over in Luke chapter 12. And we're going to see Jesus that comes across. A guy has a dream and Jesus comes across him. And, and uh, everything break loose from there. It says, someone in the crowd said to him, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Jesus replied, man, who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you? Then he said to them, watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. A man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Hits the American dream pretty hard there. He told them this parable. The the ground of a certain rich man produced a good crop. He thought to himself, what should I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. I'll say to myself, you have plenty of good things laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool. This very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with anyone who stores up things for himself but is not rich towards God. Wow. Powerful passive. Jesus gets right to the point. Gets to the heart. And that my point number one is, if you gain everything, you lose everything. And if you lose everything for God, you gain everything. So they're in contrast with one another. You can't have both. You either decide, I'm going to lose everything in this life to gain everything that Jesus has, or I'm going to try to gain everything in this life, and then I'm going to lose what Jesus has to give. You know, it's amazing the way the scriptures speak to this point. Even back in Ecclesiastes, written probably uh, 3,000 years ago, in Ecclesiastes 5, it says, Whoever loves money never has enough. That's true. That's still true. If that's your thing, if that is your dream, then you're never going to have enough. It says, whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with their income. That they can't fill up what they think is enough. It says, but as for the rich, their abundance permits them no sleep. So once they get all the things they want, then they can't really rest and enjoy it because they're so busy protecting it and guarding it and analyzing it and making sure it's going up and and reinvesting it. And then he says, well, or sometimes in verse 14, it says, wealth is lost through some misfortune so that when they have children, there is nothing left to inherit. That if greed is your dream, then you could get so much stuff and then something horrible could happen and then you, have, you may have nothing left to give to your kids. So basically, everything you stored up, you didn't get to 
pass on. And then in verse 15 of Ecclesiastes 5, it says, Everyone comes naked from their mother's womb, and everyone, as everyone comes, so they depart. They can take nothing from their toil that they can carry in their hands. That's really the heart of what Jesus was getting at with this story. You know, you're working for all these things that death can take away. You're going the wrong direction, guy. You know, you just look at him and says, what should I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns. Everything is about me and I and mine. The trinity of greed, I and my and mine. And that was what he was all about. He forgot God altogether and became a fool because of his money. Lie number, greed lie number one. Your life is your possessions. Your possessions defines your life. What kind of car you drive, what kind of house you live in, what your clothes are, all the things that people look at, that defines you. That's a lie, but this, this guy had bought into that. Lie number two, we are in control of our own destiny. Like I shared before, I am my own authority. He had all these plans. I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that and we're going to work it all out and I'm going to retire and I'm just going to hang out. And God's like, ah, you forgot one thing. I'm the one who gives breath. I'm the one that gives you life itself. And lie number three is just living for the now, not living for eternity. That he was looking for all of his joy and happiness now and not thinking about what happens at the end of the road. I mean, think about even how foolish it sounds to say this, because what did he do? He planted the crops, so he must have treated the soil, dug up the soil a little bit, threw down the seeds. And then really, what else did he do? Did he pull a few weeds along the way? You know, God did a lot more than he did. He had nothing to do with the sun shining. He had nothing to do with the rain. He had nothing to do with how the plants grew. He had nothing that the pests didn't come and eat it all up. That there wasn't bad weather. The weather could have come in and turned and knocked it all out. and Then he would have had nothing. But in his mind, he took credit for God's work. He took credit for all the things that God was doing and left God out of the picture. You know, can't we do the same thing? We go after what we want and we can leave God totally out of the picture, even though he's up there thinking, I give you health. I give you life. I brought you into this world. I've given you the family you're in. I've given you your talents and abilities. I've given you the ability to work. I've given you the ability to love. I've given you all these things. And yet we can claim it for ourselves. You know, today in America, you ever seen the show Storage Wars? It's per- Yep. I knew somebody was going to say that. We spend $22 billion with a B on storage units in America. $22 billion. I, don't even, I can't even get my brain around how big is a billion. Somebody said if you went through a billion seconds, that would be when Jesus was born. That's a billion. So $22 billion. 
We have 2 billion square feet of storage units in America. So just picture that. I mean, that sounds like a state to me. I mean, I don't know how big that is. That sounds pretty big. We have so much extra stuff that we need all this room to store it because we just have so many more things than we need. You know, he didn't think like, oh, I have, an ex- I have a surplus. Maybe I could give it away. Maybe I could share it with other people. Maybe God has just blown my mind. I am so overfull. I can just be a blessing to the world. I can encourage people. But that wasn't his heart. He was thinking more about himself. Okay? And God said, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then what will you get from what you prepared for yourself? He wasn't upset because he was rich. He was upset because he was not rich towards God. That you're doing all that for you and you're leaving me out of your life. You're cutting me out of your dream. You're missing the most important thing. In Luke chapter 9, he says it in a different way. He says, whoever wants to save his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for me will save it. What good is it to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit your very soul. You know, we've heard this saying. It's hard to find a picture of one of these. You can't take it with you. You can't take it with you. At that point, it doesn't really matter. Riches have some weaknesses. At least one of them is they have no purchasing power after death. It doesn't matter how much you have. We still all have to stand before our creator at the end of the day. Right now, uh, Jesus got to the heart. A person is measured for who they are and not for what they have. And so right now I'm going to introduce uh, Alfonso Boyer. He's going to share a little bit of his story here with us. Good afternoon, church. Uh, My name is Alfonso Boyer. Today, I have the uh, opportunity to share with you some of my life. Um, I was born and raised in Tijuana, Mexico. I am one of eight brothers and sisters. We live in a suburban area in Tijuana. My childhood was uh, was good. I would say we we were wear off. I remember as a child, I had everything I wanted. In my neighborhood, we were, we were known as the Wish Kids. We were well-dressed, had the latest toys, the best toys, the nicest bikes. We lived, we lived well. And um, even in, in our house, we had a very nice house with all the necessities. We even had our own telephone, which um, at that time in Tijuana was considered a luxury. My father had a very successful business here in Palm Springs. And um, due to the, the long distance, we will only see him on the weekends. Every week, my parents will take us uh, to San Isidro, Chula Vista, or San Diego to do all the grocery shopping, to you know, do all the shopping. We live well. Living in Tijuana, in a big city, 
you grow up quick. By the time I was eight years old, I experienced smoking pot. And other things that uh, kids that age should be doing. I never dreamed that I was going to move out of Tijuana. I liked my school, my friends. To me, life was good. I didn't dream of moving to the USA. For what? I had everything I wanted. After I promoted from elementary school, um, a few days before I started going to junior high, my mother told me we're moving to Palm Springs to be with your dad. I was very upset. I didn't like the desert. I told my mom, I don't want to move. I don't, I, I, I don't like it. I don't like Palm Springs. I have my friends here. I don't know anybody there. I don't speak English. It's hot there. <laughs> Palm Springs is for old people. <laughs> but regardless of what I told my mom, we moved to Palm Springs. Yeah. Then within a few months, um, within a few months, our life changed. We went from having everything we wanted to not have anything at all. Some days, the only time we would eat, it was a free meal at school. That's how bad it got. One morning, my mother sat us down crying and told us that my father was having an affair. And the reason why we didn't move uh, sooner to Palm Spring was because my father didn't want my mother to find out his affairs. Two years later, my parents um, got a divorce, and, and my father abandoned the family and all his obligations. It was painful for all my brothers and sisters. By the time I was 14, I needed to work. I needed to help out my mother to pay the bills. Due to that, I was making my own money. No one was telling me what to do. And I started hanging out with the wrong people. By the time I was 16, I was no longer going to school. I started using drugs, drinking, and eventually moving out of my, my mother's house. Things got, only got worse for me. By the time I was 18, I found out I was going to be a father. You would think that would open my eyes. But it didn't. My addiction had taken over me. I was out of control. To support my addiction, I started doing illegal stuff. I moved out of the desert. Within a few years, I came back. Tired, worn out, wanted to change. I just wanted to see my kids. I wanted to change, but I didn't know how. I remember one night asking myself, there's got to be more than this in life. This cannot be it. After a year and a half of being back, I met this beautiful girl. Man, I remember saying to myself, if I could only just date her, I would do everything I can to be good to her. I will do well. Whatever, and what do you know? I started dating her. I was happy. <laughs> and then one day, she came to me telling me that her brother is asking her to come to church, but she doesn't want to go alone. And what do you know? That late summer of 1996, my life changed. But this time, for the first time, God was calling me. 
So I started studying the Bible. And I had to break up with my girlfriend at that time, who I really loved and cared. So I studied the Bible. I got baptized. One year later, Lulu started studying the Bible. Six months later, she gets, she gets baptized. Eighteen months later, um, we got married. This April, my wife and I are celebrating a 19-year year anniversary. Together, we have an amazing family, amazing kids. We love God. We love the church. We have our own businesses, and, we do, and I do believe that God is not done with me. Thank you for letting me share. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Pancho and uh, Afonso. And I mean, you've always been an amazing uh, example to me of someone who's really grateful for all that God has given you. And every time I talk to you, you're always talking about how how great your life is with Christ and how much he's blessed you and how much he's blessed your family. And, you know, it's just as I was doing this, I just thought of you because of how the contrast between the guy who said he did everything and the guy who said that God did everything. And I pray that as if you're here, that you're thinking about your dream and wondering, what, what is going to happen if I give my dream up to God? I don't know. But it's going to be better than what your dream was before. It, who's to say how it's all going to work out? I have no idea how my life's going to work out, but I know it's going to be better with God than without God. His dream is better than my dream Turn, turn back to Luke chapter 12. In verse 28, Jesus continues on. He's telling them a story and talking to them about trusting him with their dreams, with their lives. He says, if that is how God closes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow thrown into the fire, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? You've got to have faith to be able to live out Jesus' dream. You've got to step out in somewhere that you've never been before and trust God that he's going to catch you. Like Poncho did and like Jesus was calling this guy, say, don't worry about your barns. You've got bigger problems to deal with. Step out and trust me with your life and let's see what I can do with it. He said, do not set your heart on what you will eat or drink. Do not worry about it. For the pagan world runs after these things and your father knows that you need them. But seek his kingdom, and these things will be given to you as well. So the opposite is true. If I seek after my dream, then I'm not going to get it. Then I'm going to lose everything. If I seek after God's dream, then he's going to bless me with all the things that I need. That's the promise that Jesus gives to each one of us. If you decide, I'm going to set down my dream because it's not worth it. I'm going to try Jesus out and try his dream out. And he promises that he's going to give you everything that you need. He didn't say it was going to be easy. In fact, he said it was going to be hard. But he said, in the end, you're going to be so grateful that you did this. Because someday when that hearse comes for all of us, we're going to have something more amazing than we can even imagine. And even in this life, we're going to get to share in the things that Jesus shared in and share in the relationship, which was part of his dream, was to have a relationship with you. 
wasn't just to save the world, but it was to be near you. It was to walk with you. It was to know you and for have to, to have you know him. He said, do not be afraid, little flock, for your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the poor. Provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out. A treasure in heaven that will never fail. Where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart is also. And my conclusion here is instead of... Oh, man. Go back a couple, would you, there, uh, Richard? My dream, my way. That means when I'm going after my dream and I do it however I want to do it. If I'm going trying to make money or I'm trying to graduate school, if I'm trying to have a relationship, I'm trying to get a house, I'm trying to beat the next guy, I do it my way. But when I turn to Jesus' dream, if it's his dream, then I got to do it his way. That means I got to trust him. That means I got to go where it's uncomfortable for me. That means I got to love people. That means I got to forgive. That means I got to turn away from my sin with his power. And he sets me free and he leads me where he wants me to go. You know, we have some amazing examples of people in this room that have given up their dreams to follow God's dream. That have given up their time. That have given up their money. That have given up their relationships. We heard a little bit about Fonso today and have given up their goals. So it doesn't make sense to us, but it makes sense to God. So say on a Wednesday you get up early and you have your time with God and you, you, you spend time with him and you go to work all day and then you get off work and then you just have to drive through somewhere and get some food because you don't want to be late for church and then you come to church and then you're, by the time church is over, you, you, you talk to your friends, you, you're, you're encouraged, and you're just exhausted, right? And then you go home, and you, you go to bed, and so for that day, you pretty much didn't talk to your spouse at all. Anybody relate? Okay, so, so God promises when you put him first, then he's going to give you other opportunities and you're going to be even closer to your spouse, even though for that one day you didn't talk to them at all. That's what it means to put God's plan first instead of your plan. Because he's the one that brings you closer. He's the one that knits you together and he allows you to, you know, and you got, it's not good not to talk to your spouse for a whole day. But we want to be close to our kids, but, you know, what if one of you needs, what if you're needed by someone else to study the Bible, or your, your friend needs you, so you can't be with your kid, and you were going to have a special time watching Netflix or whatever, but you have to go help your friend, and so I want to be close to my kid, but I'm not with my kid, because I'm trying to live like Jesus. He gave himself. He continued to give himself. But God will bless your relationship with your child because you're putting him first and you're putting his kingdom first. That doesn't mean you do that every single night and you never talk to your kids. But that is a way that you're giving yourself to God's dream and he's going to meet your needs. You know, I feel like right now, it's almost like, I almost feel bad sharing because I feel like my life is so good. 
I mean, I, I'm comfortable. I'm not worried about what I'm going to eat. You know, my wife loves God, and we have a great marriage. My kids are disciples. You know, Chloe was bringing four of her friends to church today, and I just feel like, man, what, what is this? And yet when I think about what is Jesus' dream, I feel like, man, I'm, I fall so short. Because there's times when I don't want to give. There's times when I don't want to stop for the, to help the car, or I don't want to pick up the phone, or I just feel overwhelmed, and I just feel like Jesus just loved and loved and loved and loved, and it just more and more and more, and people just came with more needs and more needs and more needs, and I'm just, half the time I'm kind of like, okay, I'm full. And I, I want to hear people's needs, but you, you get to that place, right, where you go, man, this is my limitation. And I need Jesus to help me grow. And as far as sacrifice and giving to the poor, I mean, we've been doing this for a few months, and I'm just going, man, we're, I'm never going to get there. You know, my wife and I have had, we've had conversations of, you know, how are we going to give and how are we going to sacrifice? And, you know, we're on different pages sometimes. And so it's like, okay, I, I just can't go do it. I got to, we got to go together. So this is a long, being like Jesus is, it's, it's our life's desire. It's our life's dream. It's our goal to be like Christ. And it's hard and it, and it, it stretches us, but we're able to do so much good. We're able to love. We're able to be there with people. That we're not proud. That we, we want to help everyone. Just like he wants to help everyone. You know, when was the last time that you were on Amazon Prime and you were going to check out for whatever the thing was? And you said, you know, I don't really need this. I could do a lot more with this money than buying whatever this thing is. You know, when was the last time you sacrificed because you loved someone to the point of pain? Where you felt like, I don't really want to do this. But I need to do this. I never even thought about thinking about what do the third world people think of our conference in Orlando? I checked out and it was like $675. I go, man, that's probably more than they make in a whole year. And somebody was asking, you know, will we give to support a, a third world? That may be the, something they never get to come to. And I thought, well, maybe, maybe as a church we could sponsor some people to come. To pay for their registration, to pay for their airfare, to pay for their hotel, their food. Why not? This could be the trip of their lives. And we're just there every four years. And this could be it. Maybe we do that for some of our people here in the church. When was the last time you said, you know, I don't really need that much of a car that I have. I don't need that much. I don't need that. That kind of clothes, the the clothes that I'm looking at. I don't need to eat out as much. I don't need this or that for my hair or for my nails. or I don't need to have this kind of fun because I want to do something. I could do something better with that for Jesus and for his dream. 
I realize that I need to become a lot less. And Jesus needs to become a lot more. That's not just a slogan that you see on people's bumper sticker. I I don't like those bumper stickers myself. (laughs) Because I go, man, if you really knew what that was, you wouldn't be putting it on your bumper. Because that's, 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 that's a challenge. That's not easy. That's not so, oh, look at this. I'm going to become less and God's going to be more. Yeah, you are. <laughs> and that's a beautiful thing. But I know I have a long way to go. I pray that as we're going through this time that you really wrestle with your life. That you wrestle with your dreams. You wrestle with what you're sacrificing for. We're really not doing this just to go through a couple months because it's a cool series and it's a nice, catchy little thing. I pray that you, re- that you wrestle like I am with my life and with my discipleship, with what Jesus is calling us to be and who we're supposed to be in life. Not just checking the box, but really being more like Christ. You know, when you look at his dream, we're going to take our communion here. Jesus had a pretty simple dream to spread love. To be close to us in verse 4 of John 15, he says, Remain in me as I remain in you. He wants to walk with us. He wants to remain with you. He wants to lead you. And you to desire him and him to desire you. It says, as the Father loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love. Just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. So Jesus wants us to return the love that he's given to us, to others. He wants us to hold on to his commands. To remain in his love. And then in verse 12, he says, my command is this, love each other as I have loved you. So his command is to love each other the way that Jesus loved. That's his dream. That's how he changed the world. He showed people what true love was. They thought love was here, and then he showed them what it really was. Love each other as I have loved you. You are my friends if you do what I command. We get to be called friends of Jesus. And he says it again, in case we missed it. This is my command. Love each other. Love, the wor- love, love your friends. Love your family. Love your church family. Love people that you're around. Show people what true love is all about. He didn't come to have a just to bring a religion to the world. But to help us to be able to truly love those around us. That's what motivated them. That's what inspired them. That's what changed the world. As they love people one by one by one. I pray that we can take that to heart. I pray I can take that to heart. I pray as we take our communion that we can consider what kind of love he demonstrated. That he followed his, he gave up his life for us. He sacrificed everything to help us to be able to be loved by God. 
to be able to achieve his dream of being with him forever, to bring us forgiveness, but then he also sends us out to do the same for each other and for the world. Let's pray and we'll take our communion together. God, we do thank you for this time to be able to come before you, to be able to worship you, to be able to truly... uh, We're humbled the way that you believe in us. We're humbled for the dream that you have for us and for this world. God, help us to really love like you love, God. Help us to accept the love that you're trying to give to us right now. Thank you for your body and your blood that you broke for us, God. We love you, and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.